Today is January 30th, 2019. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are also now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki, Bears Paw Nations of the Stony Nakoda, and the Sutena. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Hoki, I'm Mekochis Chestokom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman given to me in ceremony and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born Michelle Elliott. Uh, here in Calgary, a very English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of the Mayflower and the daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories, making me a visitor. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People, in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Klinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are a critical way to create safer spaces for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host that is hosting us and i'm a guest thank you any mistakes or misinterpretations are on me i I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible i do not speak on behalf of all indigenous but i can share what i think i know as i walk down my red road if you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything i talked about today and you want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for non-Indigenous, there are distress centers in your area as well. And I want to acknowledge that today is also uh, Bell Let's Talk Day, where everybody talks about their mental health and try to reduce stigma. Although that's its own conversation, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to previous donors for already showing your support to our show. If you value listening, can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your questions or comments. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Nativecalgarian.com is also up. So I feel like I have so much to talk about really quickly. So I'm just going to start by acknowledging that uh, because today's the 30th and I missed Martin Luther King Day, I'll say, if peace means keeping my mouth shut in the midst of injustice and evil, I don't want it. If peace means a willingness to be exploited economically, dominated politically, humiliated and segregated, I don't want peace. So... Thank you, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., for those wonderful words, which I completely understand and agree with, living under the Indian Act. Ah, yes, very, very wonderful. So the Wasutuan situation has definitely gotten worse. Um, They've been putting out regular updates about what's happening. 
most recently is that uh, the energy companies bulldozing their trap lines, using that as right away, which is fan-freaking-tastic, isn't it? So my thoughts and prayers are still with the Wasutuin as uh, we go through this. I'll just keep people updated as much as I can. That Wednesday um, event happened, the Wasutuin Strong, with that young new activist, and um, they didn't get that many people come. It was super cold, to be fair. And uh, so they did just protest along the C train station. So I didn't even get a photo. I was trying. I was hoping to get a photo to share with everyone because, as Ken Terra says, if you didn't get a photo, it didn't happen. I know it happened though. You know it happened. I know it happened. That's all that matters. So I want to give a shout out to the uh, transgender veterans in the states who were just told you can no longer serve. That's the most awful thing I've ever heard. Um, well, no, that's not the most awful thing. The most awful thing, let's acknowledge it, was also um, International Holocaust Memorial Day. And you know what? It turns out a lot of people actually don't know anymore th- about the Holocaust, which I'm pretty shocked to hear. But yeah, there was um, news articles that went around saying, yeah, most Canadians can't even name uh, the camps, anything like that. So I found that really upsetting. Um, You know, I grew up reading about Auschwitz and Frank, all the awful atrocities that had happened to the Jewish community. (coughs) Not just the Jewish community. Um, I actually told my daughter this at the same time we were in the room with someone else and they didn't know this. But for those who do not know, Hitler went after a lot more people than just the Jews. He... um, experimented on any woman that was pregnant so you can imagine the horrific things that came from that (sighs) while um he experimented on people um a lot of the eugenics um information came out of that because of all the experimentations he did on people mainly jews but if you're pregnant you got to get experimented on too and there's lots of stories out there if you want to hear more but one i want to mention because of what Trump is doing in the States is this. He purpose, Hitler purposely rounded up anyone who identified as gay, lesbian, transgender, anything. He, he went after them and he put a little pink triangle on them. So the little pink triangle is a symbol for the LGBTQ2 plus community to commemorate because of uh, Hitler rounding up everybody in the queer community and exterminating them. So there was extermination camps and there were concentration camps. So yeah, lots of people died in the concentration camps, uh, you know, being worked to death or being starved to death or disease, all of those things. But I mean, outright, there were extermination camps like Auschwitz, where people literally went there just to be gassed and killed. So, you know, I know people like there's people out there that are complete Holocaust deniers. And I've actually looked into that to see what it is that they were denying. And it turned out that, you know, a lot of them really argue the numbers. And there's one guy who argues Auschwitz couldn't have been done for this or that. And, you know, um, I, I'm, it is 2019 and I'm hearing politicians, conservatives, you know, there's a movement of people trying to deny Indian residential schools happened. And I know they happened and there's proof all over the land. (coughs) So I have a lot of sympathy for the Jewish community, you know, and having 
people trying to deny the Holocaust or trying to deny the gravity of the Holocaust in any way, shape or form. And even for myself, when I was investigating, I, I questioned a few things that, you know, I was like, geez, I'd never heard of this before. And it, it's just so impossible for me to understand. And just recently I found out um, not only do we have flat earth earthers, but there are actually people who don't even believe that there's space. So like I've been trying to wrap my brain around that too. I like there are a lot of things I try to investigate. To be fair, to try to un understand the other side. But you know, Indian Residential School, a great example of um, you know Holocaust denying, Indian Residential School genocide denying. I mean, that's that's a thing. So I um I really am shocked and surprised that so many folks are just standing by the sidelines with Trump saying. Yeah, if you're transgender, you're not allowed to serve anymore because, well, there's a million reasons wrong with this. Um, the number one reason is that it's really fresh still for pink triangles by Hitler. So I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. I know I shared a 10-year-old boy who was being bullied over a colostomy bag and he killed himself. Uh, my daughter, she's 11 and she has kids that have already tried to commit suicide in her grade, which is absolutely heartbreaking to me. So, you know, bullying, it manifests itself in different ways. Hitler did it to the Jews. I'm seeing a lot of Canadians try to do it to Indigenous. And Trump is now doing it to the transgender community, the immigrant community, refugee community, on and on and on. So, I, you know, I don't know what why it is that this is such a hard gap for people to understand. But this is happening, and I think if we're honest, we got to start paying attention to these things. So, anyway, I'm just going to do some more reporting on hate stuff that's been happening that I just, I, again, can't understand why Canadians are just like, do-do-do-do, totally cool. So, I'm going to read you this headline. Women attacked Indigenous mother holding a four-month-old baby in Edmonton Costco washroom. This was actually reported on, and now the Edmonton police are confirming that uh, their hate crimes and violent extremism unit has taken over this um, investigation. So this woman was really stunned. She was, um, I guess, changing her, her kid in a bathroom stall, and this woman just attacked her, saying, excuse me, and screaming, you know, opening the bathroom doors, and mimicking indigenous war cries with her uh, baby still in her arms she went to confront her and ask for an apology and she the lady just responded angrily saying i don't owe you nothing you dirty indian and then the woman in increasingly grew belligerent and began to yell for security claiming she was being harassed by an indian obviously there was a woman who actually witnessed both the bathroom incident and then the encounter at customer service. So um, because she apparently is brown or black, she ended up receiving a whole bunch of racial insults, including being called the N-word repeatedly. She's apparently of Ethiopian descent. So, yeah, she said, I'd never had to endure such blatant racism in my life. It was shocking. I grew up here, lived here for 35 years. Um, I think that it's leaking into Canada from the U.S. It's emboldened a few people here, and it's really unfortunate. So apparently this woman was not detained and just quickly left the store. <clears throat> I'm hoping that there's like a whole bunch of like, you know, 
video and such to to showcase the whole thing. But I, I the reason why I really wanted to talk about it was that here we have you know this woman, thirty five years in um, Edmonton, was smart enough after she witnessed what happened in the bathroom to follow and witness the second incident so that she could be a good witness when it came to talking about this as a hate crime. So when I talk about bystanders doing the witnessing, this is why. This is really important that you, you know, follow people, give them your number, whatever, because even if she wouldn't have seen the second incident, maybe something would have happened in the parking lot she would have missed. You never know. So it's really important. Like bystander intervention is critical. And um, yeah, I'm really sad to read about it. I'm sure we'll be reading updates as they they look into more. So here's to hope. And um, if you're in Calgary area and your Indigenous community, Wise is um, looking to contract an Indigenous organizational consultant to build accountability to Indigenous communities as a project. So you know, I'm really excited about that. I hope a lot of people apply and I hope some amazing good things happen from that. So in our last episode, we talked about uh, there being a cabinet shuffle and uh, now the Liberals are talking about on-reserve education funding and and a new approach. So we'll see. We'll see how that, that goes. Like they're talking about predictable base of funding for elementary and secondary schools. But, you know, I just, I... I am a proud liberal, but I don't. I will never trust the government fully ever. And you know, we we don't know what'll happen in the next election. So it's not something I. I mean, it sounds great for papers. So let's just hope it stays that way. Um, I don't know if you're all following Pam Paul Mater uh, Media, but if you're not, please do. She's a lawyer out east. She's one of those folks I really look up to. Um, always being critical of the government with with stats and such. Like when uh, the water framework came out, she was the first to explain that this has been studied. We know the amount, and it's not enough. And <coughs> her knowledge on a lot of policy matters to me. And um, anyway, so one of my favorite articles that she she has always addressed and always talked about is a lot of. A lot of the issues that are related to the rights of Indigenous women, as as everyone knows, the Indian Act is, discriminates against Indigenous women. Uh, I can like give examples in my own family because my mother married um, a non-Indigenous man. She lost her status, had to go get it back. So now I'm considered um, whatever C31, which is kind of a derogatory term in a lot of ways within the community because it. <laughs> It's just a way to discriminate against each other, right? So anyway, this has been ongoing forever. And a lot of mothers have been left out of the loop with their status. So they get kicked off reserves and and such. And of course, this contributes to missing and murdered Indigenous women. So the UN's called Canada out on this for years. Their most recent one uh, came out. So Pam Palmater obviously trying to give it the attention it needs. And, and I appreciate it because not only do I struggle with that, but my, my daughter will as well. So these are issues that really matter to me. I, the reason why too, I brought up the Holocaust Memorial thing and the transgender is because, you know, it, it's very triggering to me. Uh, Senator Sinclair, who was one of the um, commissioners for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 
you know, he recently put out a post that said uh, 5,999 people out of 6,000 people told me their stories of residential schools that made me cry. Sometimes I cried out loud. Uh, the feeling of pain is what they were telling me. And it's really unfortunate in 2019 that one of the commissioners of the TRC has to come out and say this to remind Canadians this is a real thing. I think a lot of people still don't understand the gravity of the 94 calls to action and something that's really been been bothering me and hurting my soul, my spirit has been, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to anymore. It's always, well, we'll see what happens with the next government. And for a lot of conservatives, it's like a bone of contention and an excitement. But for a lot of us who are progressive and have been seeing good positive changes, it's like a, it's like a death warrant. Um, for those who do not know, I've, I've always talked about Indigenous being like the abused spouse and Canada being the abuser. And I just kind of feel like here we are in Alberta and we have a good progressive provincial government and federal government for the first time in my lifetime. I, I've never had a progressive um, provincial government. So I feel like we're in the shelter, safe temporarily. But come the election, we don't know what will happen and if we're going to be forced to go back to our abuser. So I just I just feel so like gross right now. And I I'm, think about all of the promised funding for like affordable housing, safe uh, consumption sites, the education changes. And I just I'm just have that like gnawing worry that all of this great work that's been happening will be undone. So and I wish Canadians understood the gravity of that. Like to me, elections really matter where to non-Indigenous, it's like, yeah, I don't really like the conservatives. So I'm just not going to vote. I mean, that really worked in our favor. And normally when people don't vote, the opposite happens and conservatives win. So my hope is, is that there won't be that much of voter turnout or all of the progressives will say, okay, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for who I think is going to win. Because to me personally, all of these positive changes, like we've never had a women's ministry in Alberta ever. So for us to move beyond that and to keep that ministry really matters to me. And I hope that people, if there's no other reason to vote, just that one reason alone, let alone the, you know, gender parity um, initiatives, let alone the gender plus balance budget, the or um, gender plus budget that, you know, these are issues that matter because when women do well, the whole country does better. And that has just been this like lost point on Canadians for so long. And now we're getting behind uh, globally because of it. So I'm hoping these will be things that will really matter. Anyway, um, something else that's kind of happened that's been all over social media and all over the news. I'm sure you've heard, but there was an elder in the States that um, during the Indigenous World uh, People's March, in Washington, he's marching along, do 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 do, and apparently there was some black Israeli four kids that were um, harassing a group of boys that were from a Catholic school that were there to basically oppose women's rights. So you know, it it's been really disheartening to see people defend these 
rich, pompous Catholic boys. And it's amazing how many people are defending these little boys when like indigenous people were literally being targeted and harassed by the police at Standing Rock. You know, it's so obvious white supremacy is the media. So obvious. One thing I shared that I really liked was um, Montreal had a nonprofit and they launched a cool tip, a toolkit on how to be a good indigenous ally. And like, this is the type of strategy that I wish we could see nationally. This toolkit, this um, indigenous ally toolkit, it's only like eight pages long. It talks about being an ally, an accomplice, and a resistor, co-resistor, I should say. So obviously, <laughs> you're probably hearing me like talk about an actual ally means action. And this is it. Like this kind of lays out a little more about educating yourself, the ongoing process. And I, I think it's really validating for me because I feel like I'm telling you this over and over again, but this is just validating everything that we're saying. Um, how many times have we talked about our Indigenous people being completely inappropriate? Canada's Indigenous people, Albertan Indigenous people. These are terms that I'm not okay with, and I know why people use them, but I, there really needs to be that understanding that Indigenous people in Turtle Island are not owned by people. And, um, you know, I talk about the boundaries of the new Canada or the boundaries of Alberta. I don't, you know, ever want people to understand um, Indigenous people being as a part of that colonial construct because we are, we're our own nations with our own boundaries. Um, but, yeah, it, it has some good things like, uh, oh, you're Indigenous, you must be alcoholic. This is an incorrect perpetuating um, stereotype. Um, even if you're referencing a joke you've heard, just avoid saying it altogether. So it just has some tips and such. You know, you people were conquered. Surviving genocide is a revolutionary act. And by saying this, you are both condoning and celebrating genocide. Really liked a lot of the things that we're saying here. So, you know, it says, you know, the do's, listen to the experts, ask what you can do, build on those relationships, research more about the history and continue to work at it. Um, being a good ally is about risking your voice to elevate others. Yeah, imagine that's a really new concept for a lot of folks, isn't it? So, you know, I I already shared it, would share it again and again if it helped people, but please do your own work, do your own research. Have the very least you can do is scroll down my wall. That's all. That's all I'm asking. So Alberta Native News, they reported that Indigenous Language Resource Centers to open in the Central Library in Calgary. You know, I know the Liberal government has been talking a lot about Indigenous language and the new NDP government has been working really hard on Indigenous languages. And for there to be an actual resource center is amazing. I know for me, I want to go down there, see if they are going to do any inclusion for Satu Dene and go from there. But ultimately, like hats off to Premier Rachel Notley for doing that type of work and, and supporting it and continuing it. I just hope that people utilize it. Another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the Indigenous People Atlas of Canada. Man, they have some great work on Métis. So a friend of mine shared this who's actually a Dumont and a really great link about road allowance people. And I've talked about this um, in my 
work, uh, being called half-breeds, things like that. These are terms that some of the older people really remember, but a lot of the younger kids don't. So if you're kind of learning the new thing about the pink triangle, please Google road allowance people or scroll down my wall and learn about that too, because this is a huge part of uh, Métis history here in Alberta, and we don't talk about it enough. Um, I moved to Fort McMurray in, what, 81, and uh, they had just finished bulldozing all of the Métis from Fort McMurray in order to create Fort McMurray. Um, this should be a part of Alberta's history, and it's not. We're just starting to get apologies and such for it. So, you know, when people talk about how ethical our oil is, ask them if they know anything about road allowance people or some of the bulldozing that happened in Fort McMurray as part of their history, because chances are they don't. They're just saying whatever. Um, I'm just going to change a little bit of focus to my Muslim sisters here. Um, I was sent this wonderful uh, poster about faith and feminism, the status of women according to my faith. And this is going to be put on the mosque on March 9th. Um, there's going to be dinner, socializing, doors open at 2.30, and it's just going to have lots of henna, mosque tours, books, nail uh, art. They're going to have perspectives from uh, the Sikh community, Christian community, Indigenous community, and of course, Islam. But this is a ladies-only event, so this would be really good for women to attend just to, uh, you know, open their eyes to what, how empowered a lot of my Muslim sisters really are, really. Because when I um, am blessed to get to know folks in the community, like one of the strongest people I know is Simon Jamal, who identifies as Muslim. And I think if folks were to go out into community and find more folks like in, in my community in Northeast Calgary, we have lots and lots of folks, empowered Muslim folks. I'd love for you to meet them. So um, if you're at all struggling and hearing all this stupid rhetoric and you're like, oh, I don't know about these folks, come out to open mosque events like this because I know the mosque uh, will welcome you and the Muslim sisters, they want to share everything with you. Trust me. it's They got the best tea. I, I can't go on enough. Just go. Some other things that are happening that a friend really wanted to uh, encourage was there's uh, Black History Month is in February. And here in Calgary, we're going to have on February 9th at the Evergreen Community Space, we're going to have an event. So that's on Eventbrite. We'd love to have people come out to that as well. So come out, learn a little more about Black history here. And uh, yeah, expand your mind a little, a little bit of diversity. Since this whole um, Catholic boys with the mega hats on came out and abused Nathan Phillips, the Indigenous elder, there's been so just great articles and commentary on the issue. And I've been trying not to get too sucked into it because one, it's in the U.S., but two, it's exhausting and I'm kind of exhausted enough here, right? So yeah, and I just think there's some really great Indigenous commentaries about how quickly this was all spun and how the focus was taken off the Indigenous People's March and then focused on white Catholic boys. So they literally took our voice just like that. But here it is again, you know, that's the rise of Hitler. I just don't know how people don't see it here where it's so clearly obvious. We have all of these like 
white supremacist uh, folks and that just out there and not being challenged. I don't understand why everyone's okay with this. So another thing that has happened is uh, some changes in the immigration system and a lot of hate coming from that. We have a missing Leduc woman, 31 years old. That's been going around. So her name's uh, Amanda. And this is French that I'm going to butcher. So I'll just say 31-year-old Amanda from Leduc is missing. So if you see, please share that stuff. Please, please, please. Something else that's been bothering me is uh, here, I ran for Ward 10. And I'm looking forward to running again. Anyway... There's a <laughs> neoliberal initiative to have a pilot study about, you know, public drinking of alcohol in parks. So I, I just wanted to throw this out there because, you know, I don't know my three listeners that listen regularly. I appreciate you very much, by the way. Um, I just wanted to throw this out there that, um, you know, I'm sitting here knowing the neoliberal talking points about responsible adult drinking and supporting local breweries. But I know that doesn't mean indigenous, as neoliberalism is a colonial construct imposed on these lands, so it's never been meant to include us. Here we are in a time of reconciliation. We have an opioid crisis. Uh, We're not really investing into the mental resources that have been cut systemically over the last 40 plus years. Indigenous are still disproportionately overrepresented in jails, ticketed in municipalities, not given trauma-informed care, and not to mention a lot of history about uh, prohibition of alcohol and the effects of Indigenous. Um, So I I just question a lot of this. And one of the reasons why I ran was the carding issues that were affecting the people of colour. So how do we have guarantees on this pilot project and, and that there won't be policing or public bias? You know, I want people to take part of that, but I'm hoping that people will be advocating and including anti-racism policies as part of this project. So I kind of tagged Pam Palmater and Desmond Cole and the Institute, uh, Yellowhead Institute and just hope that they'd, you know, reach out to a few others like YYC Voices or the Canadian uh, Mosaic Foundation, the Women's Centre, Centre for Newcomers, Action Dignity, because we need to have that intersectional lens and, you know, really great article about the history here on prohibition of these lands and looking at the way alcohol was introduced from to in uh, indigenous but also outlawed you know it it's just gross 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 discrimination and it's always been that way and I just really hope that people question these things and advocate for that intersectional lens something that I never expected so many folks to share you know I have an 11 year old girl so I thought oh this is a good article so I shared it but yeah it was one of those ones where I noticed I get more shares than others and this was definitely one I got way more shares and it was about uh, young teenage girls and their nightly struggle with their um, devices their you know iPads cells whatever and I think everyone is really well aware. This next generation they're coming up with, they're going to call it the iGen because they're the first like fully um, internet generation. So, you know, very different than the way I was raised, obviously. So anyway, 
This article actually talks about one example where this teen really felt overbearing, overburdened with her her friends like suicidal tendencies. So you know the family worked with this child and and worked with their daughter about getting the other teen like late night counseling and you know supporting them in a different way. <coughs> but it was the fact that she was so compelled to be on alert 24 hours a day. I mean, Jesus, there's a lot of us who do a lot of social work and we are not. There are times phone goes off end of discussion. It died, whatever. It's not my fault if somebody commits suicide um, just because they can't get a hold of me. Right. So like one, I just want to throw that out there to folks. Um, if you have somebody in your life that's suicidal, it is not your fault if they try to commit suicide. And I know a lot of folks use that as an abusive controlling measure. And I really thought this was a good article to kind of explain that where it is never okay for somebody to use suicide as a reason to control someone. And I, I know it's hard enough being a 16 year old. I hated being a 16 year old when I was growing up. So I can't even imagine how hard it is for this next generation. And, um, and it's fitting, of course, today being Mental Health Day. We want to break down the stigma. So really shocked that one, you know, really resonated, obviously, with a lot of parents. So grateful. Found some really great articles on some white fragility. Uh, share that. It's funny. I, I post them and some people share them. Some people are like, thanks. And I wonder how many people are just like, ugh, so tired of this stuff. But yeah, there was a really good one by Brian Oster. And again, you know, at least if somebody's reading this, this is really positive. So question to ask yourself to expose white fragility. Do you avoid the topic of race? Do you feel or act defensive when somebody identifies something I said or did as racist? Do I believe in reverse racism against white people? Do I cite my good intentions as proof that I'm not racist? Do I cite my... Uh, people of color, friends, POC, acquaintances, or family members as proof that I'm not racist? Do I have vague feelings of tension or guilt when approached by somebody who is of color? Do Have I ever pointed out that the Irish or Italians were discriminated against too? Do I ever feel compelled to say, not all white people, when POCs are speaking about their experiences? Do I follow up with my own opinion and experience? Uh, when people of color are speaking about their experience, do I apologize on behalf of all white people? Does this quiz make me feel uncomfortable? I really like this. And it says, now try this one. Do I seek out opportunities to talk about race? How many people go out to talk about race? Uh, do I welcome being called out as racist as an opportunity to improve my perspective and dismantle ingrained behavior that I am not aware of? When people of color are speaking about their experience, do I shut up and listen? In conversations about race, am I able to put my personal feelings aside? Do I accept that I belong in a category of people and that I am not the default? Do I read, repost, retweet, amplify voices at any given opportunity? And I know the answer to that based off of the who shares my stuff. And, you know, like it goes on and on. <clears throat> And I loved it. I thought it was so great. But, you know, even for me, I suffer from heterosexual um, privilege, right? So just sometimes take out the word race and talk about 
uh, gender diverse issues, um, whether what that looks like, because we all have privilege in some way. So, you know, really read that and really question everything that you know, because I know I do it on a regular basis. And there's still things that I'm like, oh, still not very comfortable with that. Why? Why? Oh, this was a good one. I had, I shared this picture of this uh, Indigenous woman had this totally awesome hat. Obviously, in L.A., it said, you're on Indian land. But the L.A. part is, you know, that symbol. So anyway, she actually had some white woman say, oh, why are you having a sexy pose? Because it takes away from your message. And it was like, what? She was just like literally standing there. So, yeah, the great example of uh, white woman um, privilege, uh, once again, not willing to see the, you know, problem and assuming all indigenous women are sexy and that we are not trying to get our message across in certain ways. I just, oh, God, I wish more folks, more folks would understand this stuff. Anyway, really great uh, <laughs> um, picture, you know, those uh, cartoons that people draw up. And it was funny because I, I shared this one of a settler, the original settler and a, and, and a native. And it said, I just fled Europe ex escaping religious persecution. Now, if you don't adapt to my religious beliefs, I'm going to kill you. And the native's like, what? <laughs> but you know what? I, I'm just going to give a shout out to one of my friends um, from Sylvan Lake because I've, I have lost a lot of friends from Sylvan Lake because point blank, they're racist. Anyway. One had said, you know, I had this discussion with someone on my Facebook and this was a response given to me. Uh, it's not even remotely similar to what Europeans first settled this country. Indians have been fighting over land and cent and territory for centuries before the uh, settlers came to this country. Uh, they have us to thank for culture, medicine, agriculture, basically everything. And if it wasn't for Europeans settling in this country, they would still be living like savages. And my friend said... You know, I have since removed this person from my Facebook because we are not remotely on the same page, nor will we ever be on almost every issue. I have a very strong stand, and sadly, this person does as well. And I just, you know, obviously, this is kind of what I'm trying to tell you allies out there, is that if you're willing to lose a friend, I mean, one, this is your morals and ethics. Like, this isn't always just about standing with me. Like, my friend here... Yeah, she's standing with me, but it, it is that moral and ethic where, like, if you're unwilling to learn about Indigenous people, you know, if you're just unwilling to see that bigger picture, like, hats off to my friend for just making that stand. I was really proud of her, and I just wanted to give you a shout out because I don't know if you ever listened to my podcast, but I'm grateful for the w friends that I did have from Sylvan Lake who still stand with me. Anyway... Yeah. So I just wanted to throw out, um, you know, sometimes I share like, you know, job opportunities and stuff on my uh, native Calgarian as well. But one of my favorite ones was uh, forms of lateral violence. Um, the done openly is the name calling, bickering, criticism, intimidation, gossip, shouting, blaming, put downs, raised eyebrows. But the not openly acknowledged is the unfair assignments, refusing to help someone, ignoring that's a big one that I see, especially in the community, is that gatekeeping, right? Um, making faces behind someone's back, refusing to not only work with certain people, 
not work with others, whining, sabotage, exclusion, kind of the same thing as ignoring, but, you know, fabrication, uh, failure to respect privacy, broken confidences. Yeah, there's a lot of lateral violence for sure. So just wanted to give more examples to folks who were, you know, looking out there. There was a call out for some two-spirit jobs. So always want to put that out there so that folks are aware of what what is going on. Just some jokes. I've shared that kind of stuff as well. Um, one that I really wanted to talk about that I used as an example actually with another friend was uh, there was a, a a teacher in Edmonton that was fined uh, $200 for slapping a kid with a disability. And, um, I, you know, this is why I tried to explain to settlers, to Canadians, that by implementing the 94 calls to action, you actually benefit. So education number six calls to the repeal of section 43 of the criminal code, which allows teachers to hit your kid. So had Canadians said, you know what, that's a low hanging fruit. We're totally going to do that. This kid could have not been hit and maybe gotten way more than just a $200 fine. So I wish folks would see that TRC calls to action like that, that affects all of us in a good way. So I really wish more people would see the need for that. Something I've been thinking about and very concerned about is 15-year-old uh, Starlin Gloria Spence. Um, she's missing in Thunder Bay, and anyone who's listened to our podcast previously knows Thunder Bay is a big issue that we need to be following. Canada Land had a wonderful podcast that just came out on that. I highly recommend you listen to it. Read Seven Fallen Feathers, important book uh, to understand a lot of the issues that are happening out there. Another um, thing that's happening here in Calgary that I really want to throw out there is that there's something called Change the Dynamic Calgary. And it it's really an event for young women who are interested in liberal politics, talk about feminism, community building, and just have a voice in local politics. It's free, casual, it's a social event. And when they say the term women, they mean Anyone who identifies as a woman, whether you're cis, trans, non-binary, genderqueer, anyone is allowed to attend. So we're really hoping to, you know, encourage strong leaders to see their place in politics. And for anyone listening, I'm the first person that would love to meet you for coffee if you're interested at all in having those conversations, because I truly believe that we need to get more people at the table. So especially indigenous women, obviously, but, um, you know, and, and start talking about, you know, identifying as cis, identifying as transgender, because obviously as a cis, a heterosexual woman, like zero freaking problems from that at all. Can't possibly understand what it's like being confused about my sexuality. Um, not understanding why, why I'm in this body. I have so much respect for the journey that transgender have to go through. I've seen it um, with my own family and I was lucky enough to have a babysitter and go through that journey with them. So I'm really grateful. But <coughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about um, incels. So there was a great article from the CBC that said why incels are a real and present threat for Canadians. So 
for a lot of folks who may not know, but there's um, a lot of folks out there who are filled with hate, but they have a very specific hate towards women. And they're called involuntary celibates or incels. And they're like an online brotherhood of men who are unsuccessful with romantic attempts with women and really feel like they have um, the right to have, you know, agency over women. So they have a lot of like violent fantasies. Uh, they encourage rape and violence and killing online. So anyway, they have lots of instances of this. And the irony is, like, people will say things like Islamic-inspired extremists, but they don't really talk about right-wing groups or incels in the same manner, despite the fact that it's just a crisis right now with the amount of women that are being killed by men, and nobody wants to acknowledge the gravity of that. So anyway, if you're unaware of that, that's a thing, and I'd really like to see folks um, put effort towards that. So that brings me to why environmental justice activists should fight fascism. I've definitely experienced a lot of racism in political parties, and the Green Party is absolutely no exception. Um, I don't know why the rights of Indigenous people globally is a hard concept for a lot of Green Party members, but it is. So I really found that there was actually a lot of racism within the Green Party, a lot of lack of understanding, a lot of cultural uh, diversity issues that there just wasn't an understanding that, you know, white supremacy is really affecting environmentalism and the way it affects Indigenous people by them taking the space over Indigenous people. I'm sad that somebody had to write this, but the bottom line is, is that is a huge part of it. And because, you know, this is coming from a man, maybe people will be more likely to listen to it than obviously myself as an Indigenous woman. So really great article from the Media Co-op. And I just wanted to read, you know, on Turtle Island, aka North America, far-right concepts of white supremacy promote the conquest and entitlement of European people to Indigenous lands. And I think people don't understand that's the basis of white supremacy. I think when people think of white supremacy, they think of, you know, KKK, white hoods, burning crosses, and that is white supremacy too, but just is the entitlement of European European people to indigenous lands, whether it's here, whether it's Palestine, whether it's Africa, you know, it's that concept. And it goes into great detail about armed forces uh, dressing up as proud boys and, you know, armed struggles against indigenous communities. And, you know, I've talked about this when it comes to the Wasotuan issue where it like, we are talking about sovereignty. We're talking about consent and, that at the end of the day, there's that lack of understanding that white supremacy thinks, no, 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 these are not indigenous lands, these are my lands. So I'm hoping that more environmentalists will understand the racism within the environmental group and why it is needed for more folks, more folks to understand their racism within that. I wanted to promote a couple of um, events that McDougal United Church is putting on. So I'm really proud of the work that they've been doing because uh, they're really trying to do some indigenization and, and have events with indigenous elders. And um, I know I've attended a few with um, uh, Reverend Snow. He's a Christian from Stony Nakoda, but really great at, you know, trying to bridge indigenous knowledge with uh, Christian belief systems. So anyway... There's two events that they're going to be doing. One is 
a screening and discussion of the 2014 documentary, The Highway of Tears. So that's on Friday, February 1st from 6.30 to 8.30. And there's going to be tea and bannock. And then there's an, a separate activity plan for children under 13. And then the Remembrance Walk on February uh, 13th from 11.30 to 1 p.m. So that's a walk through the Acadia neighborhood, placing red ribbons on trees that end up at Acadia Place for tea and bannock. So that's the day before the February 14th march. So uh, there is going to be a February 14th march. I talked to uh, the lead organizer, Chantel, and that's going to be going again at Scarborough United Church. So if you're excited about that, which I am always excited about, you can head to that, and I definitely want to promote that work always. I want to give a shout out to um, Sherry Green. She's a Samson Cree First Nation member. She's a former healthcare worker, an Indigenous governance expert, and she's going to be running for Musquatchies with West Tusquid in um, uh, up north. So really proud of her. Unfortunately, she's running for the Alberta party, but whatever. I'm. Obviously, somebody somewhere, there's something that resonated with her. So um, I have a lot of faith in her, and I'm hoping good things will come from that. So congratulations, Sherry, and we'll see. I'll be watching because obviously Indigenous candidates I care about first because I believe that you will bring to the table the problems that we're experiencing. And to me, the more Indigenous people explaining it to the same people, like very clearly there are people in that party they will never hear it from me. I could say the same thing over and over again. They will never hear it. But maybe if it comes from her, they will hear it. Or maybe if I've said it six times, the seventh time it'll resonate because she said it. So I'm really excited for that. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to Sundry. There's going to be a rededication ceremony celebrating Métis history on Saturday at 10 a.m. So I hope uh, folks go out to that. That goes until 4, so should uh should be a good um event to be a part of all right so i've talked a lot about um territorial acknowledgments you know there's some really great conversations happening online about the ineffectiveness of it i disagree i think that that is the basis of you know opening and segueing into understanding the whole concept of stolen lands is by doing that and territorial acknowledgement and we're not ever going to progress with getting land back if people don't start to understand that so anyway there was uh i shared a really great um article by jordan may cook that talked about in doing a territorial acknowledgement and such and you know begin with the acknowledgement educate yourself mean it don't be afraid practice makes perfect you know um i've seen my own uh office had folks do the territorial acknowledgement and butcher some of the names. But what matters is that they keep doing it and they keep trying. And I think that um, a lot of the elders say that even to me when I get embarrassed about me not being able to say my name properly in Blackfoot, you know, I find the elders always encouraging. So I always encourage allies to do the same. Just get put aside your ego, figure it out. And just keep practicing and practicing until you're really good. Like Nenshi, he's really good at explaining it. Shared another good article about um, white privilege. And in, in it is like 10, like this is from 2016. So 
I'm hoping you've already come across it, but it's like 10 things you should know about white privilege. And of course, Peggy McIntosh's unpacking the invisible knapsack is first thing on there. Uh, talks about class privilege. Um, uh, Jane Elliott's brown eyed, blue eyed experiment. That's really good for people who haven't seen it. Um, number four, you should know that it's not about what white people do get. It's about what they don't get. Um, you know, have you ever been called a racial slur? Have you been the victim of a racially motivated abuse? Have you been asked, where are you from in a way that's not polite? Um, have you had to march in order to demand equal rights or calling out the suffering of your own race? Like, how often do people have to do that? I feel like we have to do it weekly. So, and then my favorite one, see your cultural ethnicity hanging on a shelf party store as a costume. You know, so it really does talk about the barriers and um, it doesn't, you know, it just tries to explain it in a way that I hope people will acknowledge this really matters. Um, acknowledging white privilege isn't enough to end it. We really have to start working on dismantling these systems that continue it. So, you know, and, and it jokes about that reverse racism, um, expecting marginalized people to educate others as the epitome of entitlement, you know, really great information. Those people who are like, I don't see race. I'm a good person. Translation. I'm going to use my place of privilege to refute and deny any sufferings for those who do not have white privilege while at the same time erasing their personal history and cultural history. Yeah, no, it was a great article. So shared that one. I don't know. It says I did not get that many engagements or people reached, but Hey, it doesn't matter to me. I just want it out there because people always say, well, I want you to educate me. And like, I've literally told people, have you ever scrolled down my Facebook wall? Have you ever scrolled down my Twitter feed? All of this information is there. So for folks to say, you need to do more to educate me. Like, I mean, I can't lead you to water anymore. It's all right there. So whether you're a reader, whether you like to watch videos, like, I have no understanding for this generation who has, like, the internet in front of you. More hate that came out of Edmonton was that there was a woman who found a really racist um, note on her car telling her to go back to Asia. Go back to your fucking country, Asian, is what it said. So, you know, it it's just a um, sad reality. There's racism is just ramping right up all across Alberta. And uh, it's super shitty. But that's why I share this stuff is because I don't think people really understand how bad it is. And for even the media, like global news to report it, it's got to be pretty bad. Like it's black and white in order for them to to do that for sure. So even for me, I've had because um, I've been sharing a lot more people um, with uh <coughs> information about Holocaust Day and stuff like that. And like folks who are like, gas chambers never ever existed. Like that's right happening on, you know, my page. So for folks to not see it, like, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know how to explain this anymore to people. Like this is right here, right now. Racist hate is everywhere. And I, I don't understand. Like I have, um, one person who said like gas chambers didn't exist and like 
friends with him. I had to, I had to, um, you know, not just unfriend him, but ban him from the page because, I mean, I can't have people like saying stuff like that. That's, I, I don't know. And people who think that they're all woke, like, you know, part of the Venus project or the zeitgeist movement. And, um, so they think they're woke, but they just, they don't understand, um, indigenous issues. They don't understand racism. They don't understand hate and just live in this like different world of privilege that I, I can't even possibly comprehend. So another article I wanted to discuss was, uh, Canada is sending a generation of indigenous children to jail. Uh, to call these numbers of incarcerated Indigenous people a crisis would be the understatement of the century. And, you know, this was just one of those great articles that I'm like, I don't know why Canadians don't get it. I don't understand how they, you know, I talk about the sur constant surveillance Indigenous people are under, and I don't think Canadians really get it. But yet, you know, this article really just went right down, like all of the all of the um, stats and such that really mattered. So it said, you know, not long ago, First Nation people, and it used quotations, caught leaving their reserve, would be arrested and thrown in jail. More recently, Indigenous children were stolen from their parents by the Canadian government to attend Indian residential school in what is described as cultural genocide. A justice system that targets Indigenous people with impunity is nothing new in Canada. But for many Canadians, this is just history. Um, contrasted with a supposed more enlightened present. Canadians then would be shocked to learn that over 50% of the youth in Canadian jails are Indigenous. We should be gobsmacked to learn that 98%, and that is not a typo, of girls in Saskatchewan jails are Indigenous. In Manitoba, 80% of both boys and girls in custody are Indigenous. The situation is no more, or no less alarming with adults. 43% of all adult women in Canadian jails are Indigenous, yet Indigenous only make up 5% of Canada's overall population. So, obviously, this is just the start of it. goes into, you know, the mass graves, the 60 scoops, the substandard housing, boil water advisories, and many, many other things. And I just, I shared it. I've literally seen hardly any engagement in it. And I it's it makes me sad because... This is proof. This is all of the proof I need to talk about our human rights violations and that the motivation that gives me strength every single day to get up and talk about these atrocities. And yet Canadians are still, they just still don't get it. So if you could really send me an email and try to enlighten me why it is all these articles about white privilege and your responsibility as an ally and your lack of action and all of these stats that prove Canada is guilty of human rights violations. If you could explain to me why it is you're A-OK -okay with that, I'd really like to understand. In the meantime, on February 8th and 10th, there's a drum workshop put on by Create, which is Chantal. So I really encourage folks to go see that. Something that made me super happy. The Dragon's Dads are an online community offering support of fathers to LGBTQ2 plus kids you know, we need dads to stand up for um, all of the youth. Yeah, that that's just a sample of some of the stuff that I've been sharing on my Facebook wall. So I'd love to hear what you think. Um, something else that I did out in the community, Chapters and Chat, Indigenous Reads, we did Medicine Walk with Richard Wagamese's book. Um, yeah, sad to say that, uh, 
you know, it just, to me, in my opinion, just perpetuated so much negative stereotypes of indigenous and drunk natives and, you know, knowing the era it was and knowing how, you know, surveilled indigenous are. Like I just told you this article that has all the stats of how overpopulated we are in the jail system. And yet, you know, Richard Wagamisa's book is like in a some fairy tale land where indigenous people can walk around. So, you know, I, I just did not relate to it at all. And um, I'd love to hear your reviews of Medicine Walk by Richard Wagamese. But I think it was really eye-opening for non-Indigenous to realize, like, the surveillance Indigenous are under. We can't move. And yet, in a book like this, it's like, we're so happy and we're drunk all the time and never accosted by police ever. So, I don't know. Bit of a joke. I was really happy that my friend James Harper came to town. He was in town talking about um, students in the energy industry, which I found to be a wonderful conversation. Of course, he's going for more green technology and, and the transition into the green economy. So super proud of him and all the students that were out at Sutina. And it was just a really weird coincidence because, you know, here he is. And I had a meeting with Derek Vildebrandt. So he actually got to meet each other, which was really weird for me listening to these two. Uh, I don't even know how to have that conversation, but I can tell you this, that there's such a misunderstanding of what private land own ownership is. And I'd love to sit down and talk to Derek about it one day, but unfortunately I just had to focus on Prince of Peace and what's happening with the, the school closure. So I, I just tried to avoid issues of racism and issues of land ownership because I just, I can't even go in there with him except to try to talk about this issue of Prince of Peace. Um, I went to the Youth Link Interpretive Center for a tour. That's the Calgary Police Services um, outreach to youth to try to discourage them from a life of crime. And, um, you know, I found it to be, <coughs> I understand why everybody loves it. I do, but I really thought, it needs a diversity lens going through that because they have like all of these criminals on the, on the wall that are, you know, Vietnamese, no conversation about refugee status, immigration issues, inclusion issues, you know, um, poverty related to all of those issues that I just talked about. And then of course, gang life. And, and even when they discuss gang life, like hell's angels are like the most criminal organization out there no representation of, of the Hells Angels and uh, just perpetuating people of color, you know. So I was really disappointed with that component of their gangs, but also the lack of um, inclusion on, you know, grooming girls to become a part of these gangs and to be, become sex workers and such because um, that's like the grooming that happens there, the control issues. They They talk about healthy relationships and I just found it interesting what a great place to talk about control issues and how that can be used to get girls into gangs, but it's just not mentioned really. So <coughs> so I'm hoping to work with the Calgary Police a little bit more on that to give more of an intersectional lens. Uh, for a lot of you who know I'm politically active, we did a um, force lawn outreach because it's really important that we start gathering our volunteers. So if you're listening to me and you're like, man, that woman is out to lunch. I can't believe she helps the federal liberals. You know, number one, I'd like to challenge you on that. So email me, 
But two, I don't care um, what party you're aligned with or, or no party. Like I know a lot of non-Indigenous or a lot of Indigenous are like, I will never vote or help that stupid Canada with their stupid electoral system. And I get that. And I totally respect that. And you are the very few people that I would never, you know, push you to to go beyond that because like I need you to help ground me to remind me this is not Canada I'm on Blackfoot territory and this is Blackfoot lands and it should be Blackfoot laws and it should be Blackfoot language so I need you to to ground me but I also want to just say that you know just like you're willing to play the lotto there's no reason why you can't just vote for harm reduction reasons so to those folks who are like, I will never participate in Canadian colonial voting system, I respect that. And I just want you to consider voting for no other reason than harm reduction pro- policies. But for um, folks who do vote and are excited about votes, I, I'm going to ask you consider just taking the time to go door knocking with somebody that you care about one time. I mean... I would like you to spend three hours a week with me minimum, personally. But I know that's not feasible for everybody. So even if you can commit to, you know, a phone bank or something like that and getting involved with a candidate that you truly believe in, because like Sherry Green, who's up at Moskwitchies with Tusquin, she's going to need your help. So if you're in that area, you're listening to her and go door knocking with her. Listen to what she has to say. Get excited about why it is that you want to support her. Put up a lawn sign. If you can donate five bucks, that's even better. But I just want to throw this out. If you are helping an Indigenous candidate, really make sure it's going to them and not the party. Because a lot of parties will just take that money. So like in the Liberal Party, we have a whole Indigenous fund just for Indigenous candidates. So that's where I always encourage Indigenous people to put their money. So that's literally helping Jody Wilson Rainbow or um, Richard, or uh, Richard, um, sorry, Robert Falconoulet. I was just thinking of Richard Lee because we have a by-election. So I apologize, Robert, not that anybody listens or cares, but you know, I care and I care that I mixed it up. So I just want you to know I'm thinking about you too, Robert, because I know there's a biennial happening in Manitoba coming up. So I'm really hoping you're going to be one of our speakers. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Really encourage folks, get involved politically. We have here in Alberta a provincial election coming up. And for me personally, I want to see the NDP win because I really, really love progressive politics and I want to keep it that way. So if anyone can devote their time and if you can do even do me the better favor and pinch your nose and go and vote, that would be even better. Um, and you know, don't, no disrespect to the green party and the indigenous candidates, Cheryl, if I was in your writing, I'm sure I would pinch my nose and vote for you anyway, because I, I could never imagine being in your writing and not voting for you, but, or Heather, where you're going to be running, you know, indigenous candidates, I always respect them first because they have that intersectional lens. Anyway, 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 anyway. <laughs> so I had to take part of some UFC um, study. And I'm bringing it up because she's asked me to ask you if you would be interested in being part of it. And I mean, I talked for two hours about the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People and Alberta's failings on it. But 
you know, maybe you feel differently. Maybe you think Alberta is doing a bang up job. Now, I personally, of course, <laughs> we're in Canada. I'm in Alberta. I, like, that's colonial. So for the Alberta government or the Canadian government to be like, oh, no, we're totally implementing UNDRIP. I mean, that's like the most hysterical thing I've ever heard because they're still speaking English and acknowledging colonial territories and not, you know, really acknowledging where they're at. So like if you're up in Edmonton and you're all offended because you're like, what are you talking about, Michelle? I like totally respect indigenous people. I'm going to be like, okay, well, start speaking Cree. Why aren't you speaking Cree? Why why aren't you acknowledging Cree indigenous law? Because that's their territory up there. So get with the program. You're in Calgary. How come you're not speaking Blackfoot? How come you're not acknowledging Blackfoot laws, traditions, culture, Blackfoot territory? Like, how come that's not a thing? So don't pretend to me that you're like implementing undrip when you clearly have no concept of what you're talking about at all like you're like just acknowledging we exist right like what 2016 was when white people were like hey did you know indigenous people still exist people are like really yeah really it's a thing so yeah (laughs) anyway so there was some really great you know questions for me to kind of go over and i it just cracked me up because you know like what has your role been in the renewal of the indigenous provincial relationships? And it's kind of funny because it's like, how can the average indigenous person have a relationship and, and have a provincial relationship with folks? Um, like my mom goes to work every day and comes home and does her chores and then gets up the next day and goes to work and comes home and does her chores So where does like someone like my mom have some renewal of relationship between her and the province? So, I mean, some of these questions were like such a joke to me. Um, You know, what does an equal relationship or equal partnership mean in practice? I laughed. I said, in a fantasy, this. And I started talking about how people would acknowledge the land that they're on and start speaking not English or French, but the actual language of the people. So... It was actually quite funny. And if you are listening to me and going, I so disagree with her, then you can get to be a part of this as well. And you can give your opinion and your thoughts to um, Dr. Roberta Rice of Political Science and start working in that. So just send me an email and I'll give you all the information so that you can be a part of this and um, have your conversation about Alberta government's initiative to renew and improve Indigenous provincial relations between the principles of UNDRIP. (laughs) I thought it was hysterical to be a part of. But I did also say this. So the First Nation um, Information Governance Centre, they have uh, OCAP principles. So ownership, control, access, and possession of any data because ultimately what just happened was I'm being examined examined like a you know like a pickled frog being opened and looked at right um and I know our people are tired of that and I don't blame you so you know I understand if you don't want to be a part of this but at the same time if you feel differently than I do and you feel that you have the knowledge to talk about the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People and how it's been implemented in Alberta, bloody hell, all the rights to you. Go for it, because I know they're looking for people. 
So on Monday, um, my organization, 12 Community Safety Initiative, we do a focus on safety series, and we decided to focus on uh, domestic violence and signs of domestic violence. So if you missed it, we have uh, like lots of tweets out there and Facebook uh, posts and pictures of, you know, resources and signs to look for for domestic violence. But I really just wanted to give the Calgary Police Service an opportunity from their domestic conflict unit to talk about the good work that they do. And um, and it was beautiful. It was, you know, hour went by so quick. And the fellow that they have, one of the few, you know, born Canadian or Calgarians, you know, chatted about domestic violence with us. And we had a hell of a disclosure come out. And I, that made it worth it for me. And I felt like, you know, we're doing good, good work in the community by, at the very least, that one disclosure. So look for that. Look for resources. Today is Bell's Let's Talk Day. And I know if you are sitting at home and control issues are their number one issue, right? If you're walking on eggshells, look for it. Maybe look at some signs of domestic violence out there because you're the person I'm trying to target the most, actually. So lastly, speaking about hate, um, I wanted to talk about yesterday was the second anniversary of the Quebec mosque shooting that happened two years ago where uh, Muslims were gunned down. I mean, if we're not talking about the, the ultimate hate crime, I don't know what more to say to you. Anyway, there's uh, pushbackthedarkness.ca. It was a national initiative to try to start commemorating um, that awful, awful event that happened here in Canada. And I just wanted to say thank you to Simon Jamal for inviting me to come out. I was really honored that you asked me to come. And in here it says, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., of course, was the person who said that. So what a beautiful way to talk about it. Uh, we didn't end up watching your last walk in the mosque because, um, you know, Lots of people got up and spoke, and a lot of what they said meant the world to hear. And um, we had a question and, and answer component, and people spoke, and I got up, and I talked about bystander intervention as a key for folks to be paying attention to, because unfortunately, one of the sisters uh, got up and talked about how she was targeted in uh, Subway and Forest Lawn, and I was really upset about that because number one, one of my favorite places to eat and be, but two, nobody stood up for her. And so I talked about bystander intervention and I want to throw that out to folks too. And we had a fellow who's um, Lebanese and part of the community. He gave remarks on behalf of Justin Trudeau. We had um, our friend Sabir was there. Uh, he spoke and the education minister spoke about some of the anti-racism initiatives that they have. Ricardo Miranda was there, of course. And there was a fellow from Edmonton who's an MLA, and he just recently converted to Muslim. So it was really great to um, to meet him. Anyway, um, Ricardo Miranda tagged him in a tweet. So at least we are definitely aware who came. And, you know, there was this conservative girl, and she actually called out a whole bunch of folks that didn't go. And uh, I kind of laughed because I'm like, man, I sure hope one day she figures out she's in the wrong team. So anyway, with that, I just wanted to um, say Indigenous have been talking about our issues 
sharing our trauma in reports, commissions, and public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded. Honor those words. Honor the treaties. No more ignoring this. Listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, know that your vote to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalized people, very much like what we're seeing with Rob Ford in Ontario or Trump in the U.S., Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election uh, platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. So I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, about colonialism, about the constant surveillance Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights are under, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from trying to escape from domestic violence situations and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I started this podcast and to be heard. My hope is that one day my family will be proud down the future of me talking about these present day issues in a way that they can understand. I want to talk about cultural safety, bystander intervention, so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous, people of color, marginalized, uh, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, um, immigrant, refugee, you know, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make change. You have to speak out against racism. You have to ask questions with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself so you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. And again, when I talked about Richard Wagamese's book, um, I gave the example of Alex Jarvais. You know, here was this amazing artist who was constantly stopped uh, by police everywhere he went at the UFC. Nobody believed him, um, or ACAD, sorry, that he was, uh, you know, an Indian who was enrolled in education. No one believed it. So he constantly got stopped by cops, constantly got stopped by everybody, you know, so really, really hard time reading Medicine Walk thinking of, you know, what they described in there as an indigenous experience. So when it says take time for self-reflection, beware of your assumptions, your biases, question everything. If you know the history of indigenous people, you know, half of those stories are ridiculous. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Here to help.bc.slash visions slash indigenous peoples 
slash what is indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Thank you for that guide. Indigenous racism or lateral violence is another form of indigenous uh, violence experienced uh, by marginalized folks in the structure of racism imposed on these lands, imposed through legislation like the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, and other clearing the plains policies. You know, just Google it. Uh, Google internalized racism. Uh, do's and don'ts by, for bystander intervention by the American Friends Service Committee. If you witness public instances of misogyny, racism, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or any other form of oppressive violence and harassment, use these tips. Make your presence known to the witness. So back, you know, in Costco, that woman made it very clear she was witnessing what was happening to that indigenous mom. If possible, make eye contact. You know, give your information to the person being harassed so that that way they have validation of what happened to them is wrong. De-escalate the situation by recording the incident and then get permission from the person being harassed. It's a lot easier to delete it later than it is to wish you would have got that strike on film. Take cues from the individual being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser? Can you make suggestions? Do you want me to walk over here? Do you want to move to another train car? Do you want him to leave you alone and follow their lead? Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that. Especially white folk, don't tone police the person being harassed by saying, oh, you're getting too angry. Can you be quiet? If somebody is literally harassing them. They have every right to be mad and angry. And you have zero right to, you know, intervene in that way. De-escalating is validating that person so that the person who's being, who is harassing them starts feeling a little cowardly and walks away. Follow up with the person being harassed after the incident is over and see if they any, need anything else. Do what you have to do to keep your both, both of you safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there others you can pull in? Working in, as a team is a better idea. Can you and the person being harassed move to a safer place? Do not call the police unless you are asked to. For many communities experiencing harassment now, whether you're Arab, Muslim, uh, black, queer, trans, immigrant, indigenous, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Do not escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. But don't do nothing because silence is dangerous. It com communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors and my granny, uh, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, for my stepmom showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. And just through her, I am a proud second-generation Calgarian. I want to thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my red road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, I'm honored that you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Joni, Judy, 
Kenna, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up and listening to me. It makes me feel really special that when I see you guys on the street, we can talk about an episode. And I just, from the bottom of my heart, want you to know how much I appreciate it. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, love to hear from you at nativeyycgmail.com. Send in your comments, questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up where you can share with your friends. Thanks again for listening, folks.